Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I'm going to promise you something. The critics are going to show up. They will show up. And they are the most outspoken ones. And sometimes they'll pose as your friend. Only as soon as you turn your back, they're going to stab you in the back. The critics are going to come. If you're going to teach, if you're going to like live your life on the work, out in the work field, you know, wherever that is for you, and you're, you're living your life a certain way, but then also you're, you're instructing and you're teaching guys as well, be prepared to have a bunch of scars in your back. Because that's just how it is. It's not exactly a rosy picture that Pastor James is painting in that preview, is it? No one wants to suffer persecution, but it's inevitable for genuine Jesus followers. The enemy will plant as many seeds as he can in the hearts of the people around you. They'll find every flaw that they can, and they'll mount clever attacks against you when they see Jesus' work in your life. As hard as it is, when you've experienced the grace and truth of the gospel, you know it's worth the cost to spread its life-giving message. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Titus, chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. If the equation looks like this for you, every time I start drinking, I get drunk, stop drinking. Stop. Cut it out. Well, I can't. Oh, remember that self-control thing? Remember that? That he tagged the older dudes with at the beginning? Exercise it. Exercise it. If you can't control it, then don't do it. If you can't control it, then don't do it. If it controls you, that's sin, and you have to lay it aside. And for these ladies, and in this region, and specifically geographically where, you know, where Titus is pastoring, the older women had a problem with excessive drinking. And so when they're getting together and all their wine tasting, you know, Bible studies or whatever that is, really happens by the way, then they're, then they're getting slurred and, and it's just, and then the truth starts coming out and then, and then they are, they are slaughtering sheep that are a part of the body, slaughtering them. And they're not even present to defend themselves. So he's saying they, they, can't, they can't be slanderers and they cannot be heavy drinkers. They can't be given too much wine. Instead, instead. However, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. That's like something that needs to be taught. So we need older dudes and we need older ladies. Why? Because our young men need the older guys and our young ladies need older women that can teach them, number one, how to love their husbands. Wait, that, that, that just comes naturally. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like, no, you, you want to be, and, and the same applies to us. If you want to love your wife like you should be, that's a supernatural thing. Ephesians chapter 5 talks all about this. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be the godly husband your wife needs you to be. And you need older men to tell you that. And slap you behind on you know, the back of your head and be like, what, are you, what the heck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't say that to her. Whatever. Don't say that to your kids. You know, we, we need to be instructed in these things. And the older lady's role is to pour into the younger ladies to teach them how to, how to love their husbands and how to love their children. 
verse five, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes or be good homemakers. This doesn't mean that they have to be like, like, like ladies can't get jobs. Oh, this, the Bible is so just, you know, misogynistic and, you know, hates women and all that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like everywhere the gospel has been proclaimed, women are set free. Like, give me, give me a break. Right. This is saying if you're, these ladies and you live within your home, like you should run your home, like manage your house. Like that's, that's how it should be. Like they, we have that, Nellie and I have that relationship. We have it. It's, it's good. She runs the home kind of a deal. And I step in and I show up and I just try not to mess things up because I'm really good at that. Yeah. But I chip in, I pitch in, I do dishes. I, I'll clean this. I'll clean that, whatever. She's better financially at keeping up with the bills. So she pays all the bills. Like, this is just, this is wisdom that we came to. Like, I come from a, you know, I have a group of guys who are like, I only do the wills. My wife doesn't even know what's going on financially. I'm like, I don't know what's going on financially. Like, I'm like, that's why she's paying the bills, because we wouldn't have electricity on, because I'd be like, oh, oh, I forgot to pay that. So you got, you got to be smart, but that also takes humility to know, like, I don't care what any guy thinks about that. I'm just being smart. She's really good and talented at these things. So why wouldn't I entrust her to manage that? She does an awesome job with it. But they, they need to know how to like, man, and just, you know, in, in their time spent with the kids and, and just all that stuff. Like they, these are things that our older ladies need to be teaching our younger ladies, which is what we hope for, you know, when our, our ladies get to do, get together for women's Bible study. It's, um, you know, it's not so much like when they teach and all that stuff, it's, you know, it's not so much about the lessons that are taught and whatever comes out of that. It, really, it's in that, like, kind of the dynamic of older women pouring into the younger women and, and just giving them wisdom. And it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, yeah, we're going to teach from the word and throw out some stuff, but you guys know that sometimes the, you know, the value is always in the word, but sometimes that gets magnified in the discussion groups where you can kind of communicate with each other and bounce ideas off of each other. So that, that needs to happen here, but that also needs to happen with, uh, with our women's ministry, and, and, and it has been. So that's been a good thing. But they, they, there's a role, and there's a need for older ladies within the church. I, this also reminds us that we don't put anybody out to pasture. You know, once you hit a certain age, it's not like, well, I guess we have no more use for you. So, you know, just start an older people's Bible study and just kind of just do your thing and stay over there, right? Like, that's, that's not how it is. That's not a healthy church. A healthy church doesn't segregate the older people. A, health, a healthy church knows how to incorporate the, the older people who have this wisdom and set them up to where they can pour into the lives of those who are younger. Okay? So, oh, here's the other one that's, uh, that's really good. So they have to work in their homes. Uh, to do good, they need to live in a way that's respectful. Uh, they also need to, uh, to be submissive to their husbands. Well, that's not natural. Oh, gosh. No, that's, of course that's not natural, right? This is, again, where, you know, the stones will start fly, flying from the feminists, right? Sometimes of like, misogynistic submission, we hate that, the S word, right? Like, we hate that. It's a beautiful word. It's a tremendous word. Um, if you actually know what it means and how it's like, places tremendous value with a wife in that role of submission, it's a beautiful thing. And it's that, it's, mili- it's a military term, and it's like coming alongside, like aligning underneath, like you're the head of the household, that's how God set it up. And if anybody has a problem with that, take it up with God. He set it up. The man is the, ho- the head of the household. But he, it's not like my way or the highway or anything like that. 
he's held responsible for what happens to his, with his family. And then, but God is so gracious and he, he can bring, uh, you know, sometimes a, a godly woman into their life to, to help him. It's, that's, what, that's what Eve was in the garden for Adam. She was his helpmate, is, is the Hebrew word there. She came alongside him to help him. It's a, it's a tremendous thing. It, it's a valuable thing. But the, it doesn't come naturally, so you, you need older women instructing the younger women. This is, hey, you want to know how to be a godly wife? Here's, here's what you do. Then they will, not be, they will not bring shame on the word of God. Okay, so a life that lives, lived contrary to what we just went through brings shame upon the word of God. Okay, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. This is where we all like to put ourselves in this category, right? Like, I'm still young, right? I'm, yeah. So for the young men, in the same way, again, Titus's responsibility, he's to encourage the young men to live wisely. That, that means to take life serious. Take life serious. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Titus is a young man. He is a young man. And Paul lets him know, he's like, you need to make sure that you're living your life as an example. And that in your teaching, that you reflect, there has to be this integrity there. Um, You have to like, you got to know the word. You got, if you're going to be a teacher of the word, you've got to know the word. Now, that doesn't mean you know all of the doctrines of the Bible inside and out, and you can quote and memorize all of the Bible and all that. That's not what it's talking about. But you have to be familiar with the word of God if you're going to teach people. It's just, that's the bottom line. Same principle applies within, within the military. If you're issued a gun, they expect you to be familiar with your weapon. Right? We've seen, you've probably seen videos of dudes who are blindfolded, hanging upside down, disassembling their gun and reassembling their gun. They know it that well. This, the same thing applies to the Word of God. You've got to know the Word. And, and don't think that this platform, this is like, this is only where teachers occupy space. That's not true. Teachers occupy space in those classrooms, teachers occupy space within your house and within your workplace. We all should be teachers, but we need to make sure that we, that, it, that it's reflected. It reflects the integrity and the seriousness of, uh, of your teaching. So what you say, you better back it up with your life. You better back it up. No, no room for posers, uh, in the kingdom of God. Teach the truth so that you, your teaching can't be criticized. Oh, that's a good one. It doesn't mean it can't be critiqued, but it shouldn't be criticized in the sense of like, if your lifestyle, if you're living your life one way, and then your your teaching is an overflow of that, then uh, people are going to come. Look, if you ever teach a Bible study or any kind of capacity, and people show up to it, I'm going to promise you something: the critics are going to show up. They will show up, and they are the most outspoken ones. And sometimes they'll pose as your friend, only as soon as you turn your back, they're going to stab you in the back. The critics are going to come. If you're going to teach, if you're going to like live your life on the work, out in the work field, you know, wherever that is for you, and you're, you're living your life a certain way, but then also you're, you're instructing and you're teaching guys as well, be prepared to have a bunch of scars in your back. Because that's just how it is. That's how it is. But let them criticize you. Let them say what they want to say. Because you're living a certain way and you're teaching a certain way. You just let them say whatever they want to say. And you keep going. Because that's what we do. That's what we, I don't have, we don't have time to stop for critics. No, I don't have time for that. 
It's nonsense. We keep going. Don't give them any excuse. Don't, don't supply them with ammunition. Okay? Live your life in such a way that you are above reproach and teach the Word of God. If you're given an opportunity, just teach it. Just teach the Word of God. And the less ammunition you supply to the enemy, the better off you're going to be. Okay? So just live wisely, smart. The, those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Opposition is always going to be a part of the thing. Um, it doesn't matter. A healthy church is a church that is criticized and oftentimes opposed. It's just how it is. If you go to a church and everybody's like, this is the best thing ever, and everybody's always just saying positive things about that, I don't, they're, they're, that sometimes could be a caution, a warning flag. I can tell you this about our church. Uh, people love our church, and it's amazing. Like, a lot of people show up, visitors, especially like on a Sunday morning, like, church is so welcoming and all that good stuff, and, and that's great, but there's a lot of criticism that comes with our church, and sometimes the people will never hear it. I hear it all. <laughs> so uh, I'm a good filter. But I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said one time that a pastor has to have like the, the mind of a child, meaning you're like kind of always in awe of God but willing to be taught. Uh, the heart of a shepherd, willing to, you know, to, to lead the sheep and teach them and feed them and all that good stuff. But the hide of a rhino, like you have to have thick skin. Why? Uh, because there's a lot of people that, well, there's a handful of people that hate this church. They just do. There's a handful of people that hate me. And they'll let me know about it. And I just smile and keep on going. Because <laughs> I don't care what you think about me. I just don't. Because people are getting saved here. And then there's people who show up here who need to, who need to get saved. So opposition's going to come. Criticism's going to come. That's, that's like a good indicator that God must be doing something. Because if the enemy's not firing any arrows at a church, that means they're probably not doing what they're called to do. Sometimes we, we think it's like, well, everybody's firing arrows at this thing, and that means something bad's going on. No, that, that might mean something really good's going on. So we just keep going. We just keep marching. And, uh, you know, hey, we've we got to run a race that's set before us because I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming back really soon. And it really feels like the finish line is just right there. So it's like, I'm just going to keep running. I'm just going to keep running. So Paul has to, or Titus has to instruct his young men the same way. He himself has to live like this. The young men should live like this. Now to the, to the co-workers. Term here is slaves. Just so you understand, the Bible doesn't, the Bible never approves of slavery. Okay, because um, here's where the the other rocks will fly. Like the Bible is an evil book, and it promotes slavery. It actually doesn't promote slavery. It doesn't. Um, it just identifies that slavery is a reality in our world, and it always has been. It always has been. Uh, the Bible is actually one of the few books, if not the only book, that's come along and says you need to if you if you have slaves, you ought to teach uh, treat them with dignity and respect. Like, the Bible's the only book that actually says that. It comes along and says, like, look, we recognize, like, in Rome at this time, that, like, the, the population of slaves outnumbered the general population of the Romans. Like, so slavery was a reality. So if you're going to have hired help working for you, then you can't mistreat them. You can't mistreat them. So the Bible's not saying, like, yes, we, we put a stamp of approval on slavery. Not at all. It, it, not at all. But it says... Look, we, the Bible says I, we understand there's a reality that people sadly own other people. 
Should it be like that? No, it shouldn't be like that. But within that reality, the Bible says, this is how you ought to treat one another. So for slaves, and you can change this word to employees. I normally do. I look at it like that. Employees must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back, whoa, uh, or steal. <laughs> they, but they must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. If you're a Christian and you work in the workplace, don't steal and don't talk back. Be respectful to your boss. My boss is a jerk. My boss isn't. Um, my, my boss is actually a cool guy. Uh, I would never talk back to him. But I've worked for good dudes who are jerks, just straight up like horrible people to work for. You, 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 have, to, you have to show them respect. You, have, you can't talk back to them. Why? Well, because if they know that you're a Christian, that's a bad witness. That's a bad witness. So just be respectful. Like, honor the Lord. Represent the Lord anywhere you're at. Obey the masters. Or the, the term there is stand at attention. Stand at attention. In the presence of your boss, whoever that may be. be just be a good worker. Just be a good worker, right? So it says... Uh, then they will make they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in in every way. So this is concerning you know slaves out there that must not talk back, show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. the The beautiful thing about Christianity was it was available to all men, free and those in bondage. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed. To turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, says we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, interesting the connection there, our great God, and that term great is really, I think it's the only time it's, it's used here. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. It seems like Paul's calling Jesus God, if I'm reading that sentence right. And, and I am, because he is. Um, it, it's, it is. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like some, you know, English major or anything like that. I, I, I didn't even show up really to English class. Um, grammar and all that. I, I never got hooked on drugs and I never got hooked on phonics, okay? So that's, that's how it was for me. Um, so, but I know common sense says our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Yeah, Jesus is God, okay? He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. Teach them and teach them how to or encourage them to apply the things they've learned. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone uh, disregard what you have to say. So we need to be grace brings salvation. You can't go out and get it. It comes to you. It shows up in your life. And the things that the the beauty of grace, the discipline of grace, I think this is uh, Spurgeon who wrote this. Instructed equals trained, and we are trained by grace uh, to deny ourselves, to holy living, and to looking, is what he says, and like keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what grace teaches us to do, to deny ourselves, to uh, how to live a godly life, and then also how to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to run through this life fixed on him. So 
That's grace, man. We need more grace. We need to extend grace to others, but we need to embrace the grace that Jesus has for us. Okay? F.B. Meyer, I believe it was F.B. Meyer, an old dead guy uh, that I really like to read. Um, he said this, we are taught that uh, by that great or by that gentle school mistress, the grace of God. To what? To live soberly as regards to our personal life, to live righteously in regards to others, and to live godly in our attitude towards God. Like, this is what grace does for us. It's, it, you, have a, you have a school teacher, and, and her name is Grace, and she wants to teach you how to walk with Jesus better. That's, that's why we want, we want to appreciate the grace of God. So uh, some of these principles, a healthy church has both old and young saints. You need both. Uh, a healthy church needs good employees out in the world representing Jesus, first and foremost. If you're wearing a Calvary Galveston t-shirt at your workplace, represent Jesus and Calvary Galveston well, please, okay? I spent an hour in Home Depot, what is it, Thursday, Robert, our buddy Robert, he works over there. And so, uh, so I, I needed to go grab some trash bags or something. I had to get something from there. So I went over there, saw him, and he's, he's always rocking his Calvary Galveston t-shirt when he's at work at Home Depot. And this guy's taking all our information cards and passing them out to all these people. So then this young guy comes up to, into our conversation that Robert's been sharing with, and this, this young man's a believer. He goes to Texas A&M, and, uh, he's, he's really excited about our beach day. Uh, and then this, their, their supervisor shows up and I'm like, look guys, like, I don't want to get you in trouble. Like, I'm not initiating the conversation anyways. Um, I'm trying to like, you guys got work to do. Do your work. Supervisor jumps in. He's an old surfer dude, uh, BOI here on Galveston and he hears about our beach day and, and I live next door to some of his surfing buddies from back in the day and then he's, and then we're the right there in the middle, and I'm feeling guilty as I'll get out because, like, I know what it's like. Like, no, no, no idle time. Like, work, you work, work. And, but you're the boss. Like, you're the supervisor guy. And, and we're talking about waves, and we're talking about surfboards, and we're talking about, and we're talking about Jesus, and, and it's, it's good stuff. And what Robert's doing over there in Home Depot is he's a hard worker, and he loves Jesus, and he loves his church, and he's just promoting. He's just promoting. And, and, Guys at Home Depot are hearing about this church, and that's a place where they can come, where they'd feel welcome, but they also know, like, Robert's a hard worker. So if, if Robert was a bad worker, they, wouldn't, they, would, they would never want to show up to the church he goes to. But he's a good worker, and so they listen to what he has to say. It's interesting. Last one there is a healthy church keeps Jesus number one. Jesus is the center. He's the focus. Jesus is the head of the church. Um, this is Jesus' church. The church belongs to him. He's entrusted it to, uh, to us and to, to leadership. But Jesus is the reason we show up. Jesus is the reason these doors are open. Jesus is the, is the reason this church will continue to go on. In the moment, it's not about him. The doors shut. The lights turn off. Lock the doors. This church is not worth coming to. If, if, the, if the church is not about Jesus, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time has to be about him because what good's a body if the head's missing what you have is a corpse if the head is not there what you have is a corpse you've been
been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're based out of Galveston, Texas, with the support of Calvary Galveston and listeners like you. We trust that what you heard in today's message stirred something inside of you. Titus is a short book of the Bible, but it really packs a punch. Something that's pinpointed in this book is the fact that Jesus came to earth as a human. So even though he's a part of the Trinity of God, he also was God incarnate. If this type of doctrine was under question, it's no wonder why Paul wrote to Titus to confirm and reassure that this important belief shouldn't be thrown out. It's a vital thing to remember nowadays as well. Nothing in the Bible should be disregarded or thrown out. It's all important. If you value these teachings and are interested in hearing them in person, then come join us on a Sunday morning. At Calvary Galveston, our atmosphere is simple, laid back, and uncomplicated. We just seek to magnify Jesus at all ages. To learn more about our ministry, we invite you to visit breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, why not discover more about the church and this ministry, as well as look for opportunities to partner with us. There's a Give tab that's easily accessible on our website if you feel led to support us in a financial way. We would also love your prayer support for this ministry. Pastor James is excited to share more thoughts with you in the coming study. Until then, stay rooted in the Word and be ready to hear more solid teachings right here on Bread for the Broken.